Go. Hi, this is Alex. And this is Alan. And you are listening to the Uniquely Portable Magic Podcast, where we talk about everything books. Yeah. Uh, This week, we are talking about the book Legendary by Stephanie Garber. It is the second book in the Caraval book series. I don't know if it has an official series title. I think that was probably something we could have looked up before this happened. Oh, it is. It is the Caraval okay. series. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> um, so just as a heads up, we will be talking in depth about book two. Uh, so if you haven't read it and you don't want spoilers, I would suggest you hit pause and then go read the book and then come back and find us so that you can talk about it with us. But if you don't mind spoilers and you haven't read it, then certainly keep listening that's fine yes so (laughs) this second book is um still about both sisters but actually focuses more on Tella than Scarlet this time around um which is really great because you get to learn so much more about her as a character and really dive into everything about her um which was a great experience for me because I didn't really like Tella in the first book and so this just you know completely changed my mind about her yeah I had some I had some I I didn't like I mean I didn't like her I should (laughs) but I didn't like hate her or anything but I was just kind of like meh about her in the first Mm -hmm. book and this like you said this book for sure totally totally flipped the switch (laughs) yes so in the second book there's actually a second Caraval game even though they're supposed to only happen once every year. Yeah. Um, but this was a special circumstance because of the Queen's the birthday celebration. The Empress's so... birthday celebration. Oh, Empress, sorry. Excuse me. <laughs> Give her her right <laughs> title, Alex. <laughs> uh, my bad. Yes, so the stakes are high again. Um, I would say maybe even higher. Yeah, probably even higher than last time. And the game is very different actually too so it's not like oh gosh i have to go through this crazy game all over again it's almost as if it's a completely new you know atmosphere and game and everything yeah and what i found interesting about this one i mean maybe is just sort of my perception of it but like while the game is mentioned a lot in this one like in the first book it really focuses on Scarlet playing the game and the game and how the game works. But this one I felt like was more about the characters within the game. And like, yes, the game played an important part in it, but it felt like the game was sort of secondary. I would agree with that. Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. it just, it was so intense, Alex. (laughs) (laughs) So should we take this time to uh, start out with our favorites? Sure, absolutely. You know me, I like talking about favorites. (laughs) So, Ellen, who was your favorite character this time around? Alex, I don't don't know. Anybody who listened to our last uh, episode will know that I sometimes, I'm like, this is my favorite, hands down. It was totally easy for me to make this decision. And then um, other times I'm like, who knows who my real favorite is? Because I'll tell you my favorite and it'll be a different person every time I tell you it was my favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I mean, of course I love Tella because who doesn't love, like, I don't feel like it's like truly a redemption story because she wasn't like, 
a bad guy in the first one, but it was like, it sort of has the, the spirit of a redemption story because like we both talked about, like you don't truly get to know her very well. I think is really the, the truest part of it in the first book. Um, That and your perception of her. Right. Exactly. Is also very specific. And I think Stephanie Garber did that on purpose. Yes. I think you're correct. Um, but so I, so I, her is, is a short answer, uh, but also I, I don't know. I feel like the characters were just, and of course it's like the second book. So like a lot of the characters that you see in the first one are more flushed out and they're more, um, it's more in depth and they can dive into it a little bit more and they don't have to spend quite as much time on the backstory and like, Mm -hmm. um, so also just like, Dante, he I love him. I'm so, it's I'm I don't know. It, I'm gonna go with Tella <laughs> to make okay. my to make my really long answer as short as possible. I'm gonna go with Tella, but that's it's a very tentative. She's my favorite. Okay, all right, your tentative favorite character. Oh. <laughs> that's great. Well, I think you're going to be very surprised by my favorite character. Okay. Um, so my favorite character was Jax. Interesting. Okay. Yes. Even though I have a feeling that a lot of people prefer and are rooting for Dante, I just was very drawn to, well, I was drawn to both of them. Yeah. Um, you know, it makes a love triangle very hard when you, you know, (laughs) know. like both of the men in the love triangle. Or people in the love triangle. Or people, whomever. Right. Um. But specifically, you know, like both Dante and Jax are not your typical heroes. And, you know, Dante even says he's not a hero. Right. And I would say they they kind of fall between villain and hero. Like they're bad guys, but they do good things, you know, in certain instances. But the one thing for me, because there were there were bad qualities about both of them that can easily turn you off of them right for sure even though they both have redeeming instances the one thing that really made me like like Jax more than Dante is that he just owned who he was and that he wasn't a good person sure and while and while Dante did that a little bit I think it was the lying aspect of Dante's character even though Tella also lies a lot. She does it in a more endearing way than Dante Okay. (laughs) I mean, to be fair, though, to be fair, Jax has a pretty big lie at the beginning of this, right? Okay, the whole whole beginning aspect of his existence, yes, he lies about being the heir and the prince of hearts. But then, like, once she knows who he is, he's very open about who he is to her but I feel like Um, just as a side note because like I like them both a lot too but also like I think I'm a little bit for more firmly in like team Dante or whatever I don't know if there are actual teams but we can make teams um sure uh so they have similar reveals about who they are as people and we'll talk about Dante's a little bit later um but it just, they happen at different points in the book. So I feel like we just don't have the same amount of time to see Dante after his big reveal than we do after we see Jax in his big reveal. 
Interesting. Okay, that's true. That's very true. Um, but even so, like, you would like to think throughout the book that you see more of the real Dante. Right. Oh, for sure. Um, even before His big it's reveal. revealed. Yeah. Right. Um, but then one of the things with Jax, though, is I think it's the combination of how he treats her and comes to her rescue multiple times, even though Dante does that too. Yeah. And you can just see these instances of vulnerability in him. Sure. Combining that with him saying, you know, like, I'm not a good person. Well, he's not even a human, you know, and all the bad <laughs> things that he does. Right. Um, all of that together combined, I'm just like, yes. <laughs> okay. Got it. Totally fine. Totally valid. I love it. Um, okay. So favorite character check or temporary favorite character check um how about some quotes okay i so in this book i had one favorite quote okay as opposed to to the last book um so let me just grab it because it is so good (laughs) okay Not everyone gets a true ending. There are two types of endings because most people give up at the part of the story where things are the worst, where the situation feels hopeless. Mm -hmm. But that's when hope is needed the most. Only those who who persevere (laughs) can find their true ending. And that that. was brought to you by the Empress because she is a boss babe. Yeah, I loved her. Like, can she be my favorite character, even though we see her, like, t- a tiny bit in this whole story? Like, mm. I, I know we just finished talking about how Tella is my favorite character, but this is one of those instances where, you know, it can switch, depending on what part of the conversation we're at here. That's fine. <laughs> as long as you own that they're my favorite characters, then I think we can go along yeah. with that. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah, I loved that. Yeah, I... I especially love it because it really is applicable to just anything outside of the book, too. Yeah, for like sure. Like, it's a very great message about perseverance and is an interesting take on situations. Like, the whole idea of having two endings I find just so intriguing and again a way to instill hope you know if something isn't going your way then maybe you're not where you're supposed to be and you still haven't found your true ending yet right you know exactly yeah Yeah. I mean so I feel like we've all been there (laughs) Mm -hmm. um I had two favorite quotes this time versus the I don't know four I had last time um, okay. I also found that throughout this book, like, I was super drawn into the first one, but, like, I was clearly also very drawn into this one because <laughs> my notes, while they're here, are <laughs> are a little less extensive <laughs> than in the first book. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Definitely pulled into both books and very hard to put down. But, yes, I agree. This one... 
I don't know. I feel like you were kept on your toes a little more consistently. In the it was first more book. suspense. Oh, oh, I was gonna say this one was more suspenseful. It's interesting. Yeah, but I think I, I don't know. Yes, I agree that it was harder to take a second with this one <laughs> and even write something down. Yeah. Okay, so the first one uh, that was my favorite um, is a little bit of just, like, quote from the book itself and then, like, actual characters speaking to each other. Um, And it says, Aiko gave her a thin smile. You have more metal than your sister. And then uh, Tella replies, Scarlet and I each have different strengths. Now tell me what the object was. And what I loved about that little interaction was like and and it's not necessarily even that Aiko was meaning it as a dig towards Scarlet um but she says something to her sister and then I feel like oftentimes in pop culture we could see a situation where the one sister is like you're right I'm better than her or whatever and Or even the opposite of she's better than me. Exactly. Very true. Or no, how, you know, how could you say that? She's clearly the better one. But Tella just takes it in stride and she goes, we have different strengths. Like neither of us are deficient for not having metal or having more metal. Right. And I was like, I just loved that whole idea that they're whole and different, you know, as, as Mm -hmm. human beings are. Um, So I thought that was really awesome. Um, And then much like in the last book, my other quote is sort of the part where um, Tella sort of realizes her true power um, like within herself, like not necessarily magic power. Um, But the quote is, but she was also the sort they underestimated. She reminded herself that she was the daughter of two dangerous criminals. She did I type this wrong? (laughs) Oh, I did. <laughs> I t- you didn't get the quote, the quote correct? Uh, no. Okay, so here's a little tidbit, everyone. I um, Sometimes when I'm really reading a book intensely and I don't want to take the time to uh, type up the quote, I will use voice to text. <laughs> Uh-oh, so that didn't... That was not correct. <laughs> uh, no, the part that I read was correct. The next part... I'm going to read what I have now figured out is the actual quote, and then I'll read you what the voice to text put in. <laughs> oh, dear. Put in there. So the quote goes, but she was also the sort they underestimated. She reminded herself that she was the daughter of two dangerous criminals. She once bet her life on her sister's love. She kissed the Prince of Hearts and still lived. These fates would not kill her tonight. I love that. I do, too. But what Talk to, talk to Text said was... You know, she, she was the sort that they underestimated. She reminded herself she was the daughter of two dangerous criminals. She wants but her life on her sister's love. <laughs> so instead of once bet, they put wants but. <laughs> and so when I was reading that the first time, I was like, that doesn't seem accurate. And, and it wasn't. Um, so yay technology. <laughs> um, but I just loved that. This was the part, um, I think this was right as she was um, 
battling the undead queen and her handmaidens. Mm-hmm. And it was just her moment where she realized her true power and what she could do and wasn't going to let anything stand in her way. And I'm always here for that. So, um, and I just loved, I just loved it. It's a very powerful quote. Yeah. So those are my two for this book. So we've done favorite quote, favorite character. Alex, what was your favorite part? Okay. My favorite part is at the beginning of the book, actually. Um, And I know I said that my favorite character is Jax, but I still really love the interaction between Dante and Tella. Okay. And so... My favorite scene is when I really fell in love with Tella as a character. Okay. Which happens in the second chapter after she, you know, comes back from a night of partying where she woke up face first in the grass and she's (laughs) all tussled and lost her shoes and makes it back to her room, you know, talks to Scarlet and then realizes she's missing this really important coin. Yeah. So she runs back out, still barefoot, still, you know, a bit of a mess, not right. put together, and is stubbing her toes <laughs> as she's walking down the street, frantically searching for this coin, trying to figure out where she needs to go. And she starts swearing at these rocks <laughs> and uses mermaids in her, in the swears. way that she swears. Yeah. <laughs> and her that first of all just made me fall in love with her right and then so you it's really this the interaction of her and Dante because you get her you know yelling at stones and then all of a sudden Dante is there amused at her I think she calls him like a fallen angel he's so put together and um I guess this is kind of a quote, but I love this part where it says, but being told no, even from herself, only made Tella want to do the opposite. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it was just such a great, like, short scene um, that really, because while technically it's not their first scene together, because the opening scene is them lying together on the ground, but they don't actually really interact much. much of an interaction right. right so this is like the opening scene really of them to interacting which you didn't really get in the first book right because we see a very all. different side of dante because he's a performer for legend so we see a very different side of him in the first game versus when he's not playing in the game exactly yeah <clears throat> um yes oh my god that's amazing I kind of forgot about that little part. Mm-hmm. So I was really fully prepared here to be like, I don't think I had a favorite part. And then I realized, so much like when I was using talk to text for that uh, quote, um, I also, um, when I was taking some notes here, <laughs> I couldn't pull myself away from the book enough to um, like make a note about what my favorite part was. Um, oh. And so I just wrote down, page numbers a couple times here. (laughs) Um, And so I think what I'm going to need to listen to myself um, about here is the number of exclamation points I put after the end of 
the page number. Mm, so, so that will tell you which one is actually your favorite. Right. So the first page number that I put in here, uh, this is for the hardcover copy of the book. So I don't know if it fully, you know, translates over, um, depending mm-hmm. on what form you're reading the book in. Um, but it was page 275 in the hardcover. And um, it's when she's fighting the undead queen and the handmaidens. And... Of course, I have a quote from this little area, too. So clearly, I think I can just pretty safely say that while there were many parts in this book that I was so excited about, that this clearly must have been my favorite scene. Because not not only did I um, have a favorite quote from this area... I also had this note about specifically page 275. And so when I went back to look at it and I was like, so what about this particular page in this scene? Cause it lasts a couple pages here. Right. Um, was my favorite part about it. And, um, I, I kind of liked that it was, it's sort of a continuation of her, um, of her realizing her power, right? So it's page 273 that my quote came from. And so she's still sort of metabolizing that realization that these fates weren't going to kill her, right? And so finally on 275, um, she starts thinking about how she's going to kill this undead queen. And then um, she starts thinking about the Tella who had never died, the Tella she was before sort of the ending of the first book. Um, And... We're assuming if you listen to this and you've read book two, that you've probably also read book one. So sorry if that was a spoiler for anybody. (laughs) Um, But there's this little part here where it says, Tella breathed in as much air as she dared. Her veins were trembling, her fingers shaking. For all her bravado, Tella would never, um, would never, oh, sorry, would, (laughs) I apparently don't know how to read out loud. Uh, Tella would have never done something like this before. She'd always been a runner rather than a fighter. The Tella who'd never died might have given up and taken her chances with death. But that girl had died. Literally. Um, And then... She strikes, she kills the undead queen, you know, and she... Or, I I, I guess I can't say kills, because I don't know if she's, like, for real gone, or, like, just temporarily gone, because she's this magical fate. Um, yeah, it's, it's temporarily gone. So when yeah, you exactly. temporarily she's, kill her, then you get rid of a handmaiden. So exactly. Kind of a, so know, she's out of... for one or three for one deal or whatever. <laughs> right, exactly. And, and she's out of immediate danger at this point in time. So clearly that must have been my favorite part because I have a quote from it. I have a page number with seven exclamation points after it. So, oh so clearly, I think we're just going to have to listen to Ellen on that part or, you know, listen to the emotional reader part of Ellen about that okay. part of the book. I mean, that scene was pretty intense. That's for sure. Right. But she, it's, it's great because Stephanie Garber still takes the time to have these emotional connections between the reader and the character, mm-hmm. even as it's this super intense, you know, fight to the death. Scene. Yes, absolutely. Um, so 
Speaking of my notes and my favorite parts and everything like that, I have another page number that I just wrote down a page number. Um, but this one only has three exclamation points afterwards. So <laughs> I think... Clearly not your favorite. <laughs> right. I mean, still very worth noting. Um, and so I... Um, I wanted to look at I wanted to look at this too, and I was like, "What made me part like put this part down as one of my notes?" But like, it wasn't enough that I could actually write down what was happening. And it's the part where she's going to the temple um, of the stars uh, to try to figure out um, how to get the deck from mm-hmm. from them, and <laughs> magically Dante's there. And surprise! <laughs> I know, like he has just you know followed her, shown up there, whatever. And um, <laughs> so she starts, you know, walking up to it, and she has had to sort of put on like a costume, basically, to like make them think that she's um, someone who's come to sort of pay um, some her respects or. Um, honor the stars or, you know, come to this temple to worship. Um, and so she shows up and I think I kind of pictured basically like a toga type situation. Uh-huh. Um, cause they talk about a sheet and they talk about a belt. So that's sort of what I was rolling with in my head. Um, but then she sees Dante and he's in like, basically, I think like a loincloth <laughs> is, <laughs> is basically what they describe. Like he's wearing just something wrapped around his waist and like the upper part of his legs and she is looking at him and she um the first thing she says about him is Dante leaned against one of the pillars flanking the temple's massive door all bronzed flesh and brilliant tattoos and oh glory he was shirtless so very shirtless (laughs) (laughs) and so (laughs) so there's that part at the top and then she's like like, as she's walking up to him, she's, like, thinking to herself, like, don't stare at him. Like, <laughs> you know, but she couldn't. And then it as says. any woman who's trying to play it cool around a man. Of course. Too, does, of course. Right? And then she was, like, and she was, like, there's also a part where it's, like, she's fairly certain, she, certain she'd seen him without a shirt previously. Like, why is this so different? And then she was like, he's taller and thicker and more consuming. And he was dressed like one of the statues with only a wide white cloth wrapped around his lower half, accentuating the bronze perfection of his leg and chest. So there's this whole thing where she's like trying to play it cool. She's totally interested in this guy. And, (laughs) but they've had this really fun banter throughout most of the book here. And so (laughs) down here at the bottom of the page, (laughs) Um, it says, she imagined he expected a thank you for saving her that night, uh, the night of the attack of the undead queen. And um, so it says, she imagined he expected a thank you for saving her that night. But after what he'd said to Julian about only caring because she could lead them to the cards, Tella wasn't about to thank Dante for anything. <laughs> she wanted to say something witty or scathing, but to her horror, all that came out was, you should never wear a shirt. <laughs> And I, like, we've all been in that position where we've been trying to sound cool or we've been trying to, like, play it off. And then we've just said something ridiculously embarrassing or dumb. And I just Mm -hmm. thought it was just the most endearing, like, and humanizing moment. Absolutely. (laughs) Like, she was like, I'm going to be like, I'm not giving him the satisfaction of knowing that I'm 
that I, you know, know what he said or anything like that. And I'm going to be so important. And then she was like, you should never wear a shirt. <laughs> uh, so relatable, Tella. So relatable. Right? We love a relatable character here. Um, so... Uh. And then, of course, the next line is, his grin was devastating. So, of course, he knew exactly what he had done to her. Mm-hmm. Oh, that, yeah, that is a great scene. Yeah. <laughs> I have to say that, well, obviously, since Tella is more of the main character in this book, that we've learned so much about her. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's become so much more lovable than she was in the first book. Right. Um, but I even realized, just trying to you know, wrap my head around the book um, in thinking about how we were going to talk about it, that even in the first chapter alone, we end up learning so much about Tella. Um, And like I had said before, like in the second chapter, which was my favorite scene, I had already fallen in love with her as she was yelling at Rex and about mermaids. Right. Um, (laughs) Right. But I, I took the time to go back through the first chapter, even though it's a very short chapter. Sure. And realized that we had learned so much about her just in that opening chapter, which I like think... Like the flashback chapter? Uh, no, like actual chapter one, not not the flashback. Um, mm. Yeah, so in this one, we learned everything from, you know, she loved to kiss multiple boys to... She kept her room dirty because she figured that that was the best way to tell if someone had actually been in her room, which I thought was so tactful. (laughs) Let's pretend that's why I keep mine dirty, too. (laughs) Yeah, right? And devious at the same time. Right? Yeah. Then realizing that she's still keeping secrets, and that's just something that she continues to do, but it's because... She's trying to, you know, save her mother and save her sister from, you know, unhappiness, right? right. And and you really see how much Scarlet loves Tella in the first book, but then even just right away in this first chapter, you really see how much love she has for her sister because initially, you know, she seems like someone who's a bit more self-absorbed and really only cares about having fun. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you can see that she loves her sister, but I definitely questioned in the first book, like if it was maybe more of a one-way street, you know, with Scarlet having so much more love for Tella, but even just right in this first chapter, like that was completely shot down for me. And I realized, you know, how equal they were in loving each other because you know you just you initially think that she's just like this you know bit of a reckless nitwit and then it turns out that yes she's reckless but it's usually that she's daring in a way that's trying to get her towards a goal that she's attempting to reach that usually is for the good of someone else yeah, for sure. Yeah, so I just thought that was, you know, a really great way to jump into the book, to just basically flip-flop the readers from having this perception of Tella to then opening them, opening our eyes up to 
who she really is. And I wonder uh, how much of that, yeah, and I wonder if how much of that is also even maybe subconscious to her, but like, you know, in that part where she realizes the difference in herself because she had died, you know, like, I wonder how much of that, like, maybe she doesn't even realize that yet, but like, was she more like the perception of Tella that we got in the first book? And then after she died and her sister brought her back with her love, like, did that change her at all? Did it just help her bring out her truer self? Like, maybe she was always like this. Um, Interesting. Okay. I didn't even think about that. Like, I mean, just a thought pretty much that I had. I mean, definitely valid. Um, And I guess we'll never know unless (laughs) Stephanie Garber has something to say about it. Right. Um, so what, do you have any notes that you took down during this? Um, yeah. Aside from chapter one. Things. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I found it still the way that she uses colors and how she describes everything is such a unique aspect of these books. Like, I I definitely recognized that the use of color was a little bit less than before. Um, So that made me think that it it might still be a unique thing to Scarlet, though I think it's also a unique way that Stephanie Garber just writes because you still see that throughout the second book, too. Um, But I just wanted to touch on, like, some of the ways that she, or just give a couple of examples of how crazy beautiful her descriptors are and how unique they are. Okay. Like, in this book, I think the first book was very centered on her use of color, and this book, it was just almost, like, added on top of that, um... So here's an example, and this one doesn't really use color, um, but it's still just, I don't think you really find this kind of writing in other books. The air tasted like wonder, like candied butterfly wings caught in sugared spider webs and drunken peaches coated in luck. Ooh. Like, who writes like that? Like, it's such an interesting weaving of like, all these different nouns and adjectives in a way that isn't typical, that I loved and just made everything seem so much more vivid. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so that was something that I absolutely loved about this book. I don't know if if you picked up on it, too. Um, Yeah, so, like, I definitely noticed that it was not as, um, like, the color thing was not as prevalent. I mean, it still very much there but not quite in the same way as it was in the first book um and I the big thing that I picked up on in this one um so where color seems to be really big just throughout both of these books uh but seems to be you know a a big way that Scarlet um experiences the world um Tella seems to experience temperature um I noticed in this book specifically, there was a lot of moments where she was talking about how cold things were or how warm they were in relation to, like, just herself or the people she's interacting with. Um, 
And I thought that that was a really interesting, um, and maybe just something that I was <laughs> reading too much into, which is certainly possible. Um, but like, it just seemed to pop up so frequently when she was interacting with the other people in the game or around her, um, that it, it seemed important, even if I don't know why. <laughs> okay, well, maybe we'll find out in the next book. Right. But, um, I actually did not pick up on that at all whatsoever. Oh, interesting. So, like, yeah. And certainly it's, I mean, that's what, that's what I love about books, though, right? Is that they have different things for everybody, you know? Like, two people can read the same book, and they're not reading the same book, you know? Like, mm-hmm. it's it's... It's just so beautiful, Alex. Yeah. <laughs> um, I agree. There, you know, I think that's why the title of our podcast, Uniquely Portable Magic, is such a great descriptor for books. Yeah. And so for anybody who doesn't know, we got this idea from the Stephen King quote uh, that books are uniquely portable magic. And when we were sort of brainstorming and trying to figure out what we were going to name this, this here podcast, um, I was just sort of reading through book quotes, trying to see like, if we could even get like an idea of what to name it. And I read this one and I was like, Hey Alex, what do you think about this? And like immediately, I, I I mean, I feel like it was immediate. (laughs) Maybe it wasn't on your end, but I think it was something that immediately spoke to both of us for kind of that reason, you know, that it's, they are so magical. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but yeah, so that was something I really picked up on was temperature. Um, and um, and I found it fascinating because I was trying to like, what does the temperature mean? Which of course, it might, uh, not, uh-huh. it might not mean anything. And it could just be a description of... <laughs> Someone of of, of temperature. Aware yeah, of temperature. <laughs> exactly. So like, it could mean nothing. It's like that funny joke or uh, meme or whatever. And it's like, author writing a book, the curtains were blue. And then it was like, your high school teachers, like the blue of the curtains represents the character's sadness and depression. And, and then it's like, what the author meant, the curtains were fucking blue. Like... <laughs> Certainly, I could be like, the temperature must mean something. And Stephanie Garber could have just been like, I feel like maybe his hands were cold. Like, (laughs) Mm -hmm. they were outside, so maybe he was cold. Like, you know, like. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Who knows? Um, Who knows? But again, the great thing about books is everyone can experience them and interpret them differently. Right? So we're just going to leave it as it has a bigger meaning until we are proven otherwise. All right. Um, I'm down with that. So uh, another thing we talked about last time is how I am not great at predicting things, um, but I love to make my predictions. So I have a couple predictions in here that I wrote down. Um, did you get any right? I did. Oh, look at you. Um, and I, so on one of these, I put, I wanted to put the page number because I wanted to be like, I for real had this prediction before it was revealed. <laughs> like I wanted, <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't know, to prove to myself. I don't know who I needed to prove it to, but I was like, 
I want to prove it. And But one of these, I didn't. So at some point, um, no, not at some point, <laughs> I realized, um, and I say that like it was some big re- revelation. So there's the part after she's fought the undead queen and Dante comes and saves Tella and he brings her someplace. It's not super clear where he brings her, but he's there with Julian and she's sort of like coming in and out of consciousness. So she's not fully there. Um, and then, but you hear um, Dante call Julian brother. And what we know about the first book is that Julian is Legend's brother. Right. And so there comes this, that's this big shocking point where all of a sudden Tella's like, Dante is legend, but then she's also like, but maybe that's what Julian wants us to think, and Julian is actually legend. And then she sort of goes into this big spiral of one of these two men (laughs) are legend. I don't know who it is. And leading up to this point, I had an inkling that maybe Dante was legend. But then, like, after that, I was like, no, he's definitely legend. I know she's trying to, like, maybe play with us a little bit and like maybe it really is Julian and maybe it's Dante but I was like I think it's Dante and so when that was proven to be true I was like yes good for you because I definitely was more susceptible to going back and forth than the uncertainty okay because at first when when he said brother you know I was like oh it's Dante. It has to be. Right. But then I started really second guessing almost right away. Okay. Because if Dante had really been legend, then wouldn't he have been able to save Tella instead of having to bring her to Julian? Like that part didn't make sense mm. to me because legend is supposed to be this like super magical being who's all powerful and well, not all powerful, but extremely powerful. Right. And so immediately after the whole announcement that Dante and Julian are brothers, I was second guessing it and kept second guessing it and kept thinking, absolutely not. Like there's no way like he died in the first uh, book in the game. Right. There's no way that legend would have died. You know, I, so I was definitely a doubter until you know, they revealed that he actually is right? legend. And even even then, I was still like, really? Are you sure? <laughs> That's so funny. Um, <laughs> um, that's hilarious. So I wonder if that's... Because so, those are very good, like... I shouldn't say very good. Like, it's not like I'm validating your thoughts on him, this. Um, those are... But those are very good reasons to sort of doubt is Dante legend if he's not the one saving Tella. But I think at that point, he's still trying to hide it. And Tella already knows that Julian can do some sort of blood magic because of what he did for Scarlet when she lost the two days of her life. So I think he, he thought, even though maybe he is more powerful than Julian and, and it likely is more powerful than Julian, that part there was, I think, for me, I was able to write it off as he's still trying to play the charade that he's not legend, and so okay. he brought. Uh, yeah, him- I didn't even think of it that way. But now that you say that, that just makes me sad because it shows how much more important 
the charade and the lies are to him. Sure. And Tella is. Um, well, I wouldn't say that, that Tella is, because he still f- brought her to safety. Yeah, but, like, if he could have done something... And maybe he couldn't do something. Like, maybe maybe he is very powerful, but, you know, limit limits have power. Oh, my gosh. Power has limits. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, for the most part, you know, unless we're... That's true. It's expressly stated that they don't have limits. You know, generally power has limits. And we know that he, while it was gifted quite a bit of magic, he, he doesn't have all of this magic. So... Um, yeah, that's true. Maybe it's just something he could do. And maybe, maybe that, maybe he could do it and, you know, it is all about the game and the charade. Um, yeah, I so, don't know. So then my next prediction, unless you have a prediction you want to put in. No, I, okay. don't, I don't have any predictions. You know, I'm really awful at those, so I tend to just... <laughs> just let it happen. ...not do them because <laughs> then I'm going to let myself down anyways. But, um, kind of a segue from this conversation I think and then we can get back to your other prediction um was I was thinking about the magic in this book yeah and I really liked it a lot more than I liked the magic in the first book interesting because there was so much more of a focus on the fates okay which I found much more interesting as something to pay attention to and as a way to look at magic than just legends magic and magical universe sure yeah so i i have to say that i thoroughly enjoyed the magic in this book and that i didn't have that same almost like slightly negative bias against the magic that i did in the first book because the fates were so prominent interesting in this book okay Mm -hmm. okay Yes, just just random thoughts. No, I like it. That's, I mean, it's and it's important to like think about and and be with. (laughs) Um, And as as you know, I I wasn't so bothered with it, so that wouldn't have been something that would have even occurred to me. But I I totally see what you mean about the different types of magic in it. Mm -hmm. Yes. So. Back from that side note, what was your next prediction? So my next prediction. Okay, so I should say, theoretically, I'm right about this, but I'm not, I'm I'm ready for it to not be right. Like, <laughs> so my next prediction, so there's a part in the book, um, I think shortly after, I think it's after Dante and Tella were in the temple, and she, um, and she finds out that her mom traded her life um, for these, I don't even know if they're like monks or like stewards of the temple or whatever to keep these cards locked up for her. And so she has this realization that, or she thinks she has this realization that her mother didn't care about her, excuse me, and she um, was willing to give her up in exchange for these cards and all of this stuff. Oh, I got so frustrated by that scene. I cannot <laughs> believe that 
that she knocked over whatever the bowl was that was showing. I know. I wanted to see the rest of it too. I need to know. I know what else happened. I, I feel like we'll find out. I feel like we'll find out. I don't care out. about your emotional state. You needed to let us. So it's after that scene, then she runs from the temple, and of course Dante follows her, and they end up in this, like, abandoned, rundown garden that used to be part of a big house, and they're sitting by this fountain, and... Somehow they get, I think this is the right part. I could be totally mixing this up. I'm not positive. I think this is the right part. Because she starts looking at all of his tattoos on his, on his, like, chest and his, like, sides. And she's talking about how she feels about having this mom that abandoned her. And then Legend, no, I mean, Dante, I mean, we don't know that he's Legend at this point. And I had all, I mean, we... Granted, you had already had your prediction. Right. It's it's not confirmed yet. And but then Dante tells this story, or I mean, he doesn't even tell a story. He just mentions like, I understand how you feel because my mom was the same way. Is basically what he says. And so then a little bit later, like actually kind of close to the end, when the Empress is is dying, um, she had invited, um, she had invited. Tella up to watch the fireworks for her birthday at the top of her tower and Tella goes up there and she's dying and they're sort of having this heart to heart which I thought was beautiful that they had and um because we found out that the empress knew Tella's mom and like so like she's getting a little bit more information and all this stuff but there's this little part where um they're talking about their mom who for the first book, we thought her name was Paloma, but once she gets to this capital city, they find out that she was this master criminal, basically, um, named Paradise. And um, they are talking about her, and Empress Alentine says, The paradise, paradise I knew didn't believe in quitting, and if you really are her daughter, then I'm certain she would not have quit on you. In fact, I imagine that if she was your mother, she loved you very deeply. And then it says, Tella snorted. And then Alantine continues, I'll pr- pretend I didn't hear that. I'm sure there's a law that says you cannot mock your empress to her face. But I imagine what you just did has more to do with your mother than with me. And I'll admit, I suspect my child feels the same way about me as you feel about your mother. I was also a failure as a parent. I made mistakes that meant I was parted from my child for a long time, but that didn't mean I didn't love my child. So many of the choices I made that I believed were for the best only served to tear us apart. And that's on page 390. So we're about 60 pages from the end, because I think there's like 450 pages in the hardcover book. And so right as I read that part, oh, so there's this whole, (laughs) there's this whole backstory, right? That there's a lost heir, that she had this child um, and then gave it up because she wasn't married and, like, all of this stuff. But it was only sort of myth up until that point. But then there was some, like, whisperings that maybe the lost heir was back and all of this stuff. And right when I read that, I was like, Dante's the lost heir. Right? Because we had that whole little bit where he was talking about his mom abandoning him. And then she talks about abandoning her child. Or, or not so much abandoning, but making mistakes that led to them being separated. And, like, that would seem very much... Like how, you know, if you're a young child 
and your parent makes a mistake that you're separated from them, like, you're probably going to grow up thinking that they abandoned you, but sometimes... I mean, sometimes Uh that's the case that they do abandon you, but sometimes there are circumstances that you as a child wouldn't know about that would lead to it. And so like, so right there, I was like, that's it. Dante's the heir. Oh, well, and on top of that, she knows legend. Right. Exactly. You know, had given her magic or tonics or whatever so that she looked younger. Yes. Yes, exactly. So like, and so even though. It wasn't confirmed right at that point that Dante was legend, but, like, I was pretty sure that he was legend. I was pretty sure I was right about that. I was making predictions left and right, like, (laughs) and so I was like, this is it. Page 390, prediction, Dante's the lost heir. And then shortly after that, it's confirmed that Dante is legend. So then I made a note, and I was like, can he also be the heir? Like, Right, can you have both? Right, like could both of my predictions be correct? And so then, right at the end, Alentine dies, and the the heir is presented to the world, and it's legend. Dante, whatever. I'm going to call him Dante because I just prefer saying that, but, like, we know it's the same person now. Right. And I was like, I was right. This time I was right. He's the heir. But then I was sitting there, and I was like, or is he? <laughs> so, like, what? Right? Like, did he, similar to Jack, just like make everyone think right. that he's actually I know. the there? Because she doesn't talk about, she doesn't talk about having two kids. And so we know that that Dante and Julian refer to each other as brother. Of course, up until that point, I had assumed that they were blood brothers, but. So that could mean that they're half brothers. That could mean that she had more than one kid that she didn't, t- you know, she didn't talk about that. Um, uh-huh. Or they could be half brothers on the dad side, or they could just be comrades that have been through enough together that they refer to each other as brother, you know, so like that whole part of it. But then I was thinking like sh- the Empress was so fond of Paradise or Paloma or, you know, whatever. And so then I was like, maybe she was the heir. And then I was like, that would be an interesting twist. And then, but like these books have taught me (laughs) to not trust anything. (laughs) I know. How do you know what's real? Oh my gosh. So in theory, I was right in my second prediction as well for this book. But who knows? Oh man. Okay. (laughs) So that, first of all, I'm very impressed with your predictions. But second of all, that segues into something that I also wanted to talk about, um, which really cemented my questioning of everything. Okay. Um, Which was finding out that the Count had actually been played by a performer in the first book, and that he wasn't actually the Count. And before that, I, like, kind of understood more about the game and the fact that there were, like, performers who no one knew were performers. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it really set in for me until we found out accidentally, you know, like, Julian Wool Scarlet accidentally found out that the Count was a player because you'd think that they the sisters would have been told that like oh yeah the game's over by the way well tell tell finds out before scarlet finds out 
right. right, right. So you think like once the game was over, that the game ending party at the end of the first book, you know, maybe someone would think one of the other performers would think to tell them that the count wasn't real. Right. So then I'm just like, oh my gosh, how many other performers are there that we think are real people? Right. Like, and I don't know why I just knew that Jax wasn't a performer and that he was, in fact, really a fate um, when I was so questioning of everything else. But... Well, they flat out yeah. say it. I mean, after their kiss, flat out, he's like, oh, hey, I mean... He doesn't actually say, oh, hey, BTW, I'm the Prince of Hearts. But, like, (laughs) that's basically, you know, it's laid out for us at that point. I know, but just because it's laid out for you doesn't mean it's real. Come on, we know from... That's really funny that you... It's so true, because you say that, and that's very accurate. But can I tell you, that didn't even cross my mind that he was... (laughs) Like, I was fully prepared to believe that he was actually who he said he was. Really? You yeah. Didn't question it at all? I questioned it for a second. <laughs> I think that I, I think like, that really just. No, I believe he's real. <laughs> I think I think that just goes to show you how gullible I can be because he was like, "Yeah, you're right. I am the Prince of Hearts," and I was like, "Okay." <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. Apparently, I didn't question that at all. <laughs> good. Very good. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. So speaking of Jax, though, let's let's talk about him. He's your favorite character. I cer- I certainly don't mind him. Now, see, that's the thing. is Sometimes in love triangles, I'm like, I have a clear favorite. Like, this is endgame for me. And then mm-hmm. sometimes in love triangles, I'm like, I don't even care. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like what, you know, it's a win-win. And sometimes in love triangles, I'm like... How, how does neither sound? <laughs> um, <laughs> and so, while I, I definitely have a preference for Dante, it's a very, um, it's not like a secure preference. <laughs> like, it could, it could very easily change very quickly. Like, just because I don't know what's going on is, is sort of the best way to <laughs> because much yeah, much I mean, like in the first book this whole book had me just like what's happening questioning everything <laughs> feeling like you're just running in circles yes. like with your head cut off <laughs> yes that's how I felt and I have to agree with you that even though Jax is my favorite character and I like him enough for him to be my favorite character I still I'm not like I absolutely 100% want her to end up with him. Yeah. I now, can still, I tell you? I have like, a f- he's, he's he's my preference, but I still go back and forth between who I want her to end up with and I still there are still moments with Dante where I'm like, "Oh, but wouldn't that be great if they were together?" Because look at that. <laughs> right? Oh, for yeah. sure. Yeah, this is definitely one of the ones where I'm like how about both? Like, it's a fantasy book. Let's get real crazy with this. Like, <laughs> who says just oh. one? Um, so, yeah. So let's talk about Jax. So we meet him first. Um, okay. Rewind a little bit more. Can we talk about these flying, floating okay. carriages? Yes. Like, Such an interesting way. But, like... How- are there, like, 
they're not flying horses in front of them because that was never mentioned, right? Right. Like, it's the carriage itself somehow propels itself. So I kind of pictured it in sort of like a steampunky type way. So, like, maybe it's, like, propelled by engines, but it's, like, also kind of, like, magic-y. Okay. Um, but... That's just how I was picturing them. That doesn't necessarily mean that that's how they worked. Um, Interesting. I think, I think I just pictured them as, like, horse-drawn carriages without the horses. Okay, okay. And then, you know, maybe in some pretty colors. <laughs> sure. I think there was... Floating in the sky okay. by themselves. <laughs> I think there was also definite, definitely a moment of me picturing them as hot air balloons but like interesting okay but like bigger so like not like a basket at the bottom of the hot air balloon but like a carriage Mm. um but then that sort of that was sort of my first thought but that soon went away when they didn't talk about a big balloon over them (laughs) um and so I think that's when it morphed into sort of that like steampunky vision I had in my head um but I want one. <laughs> I want one of these fancy floating carriages. <laughs> I wouldn't be opposed. Right? It just seems so... I don't know. I want one. So anyways, so she meets Jax in one of these floating carriages. They're both uh-huh. going to the opening ball for the opening of this new game of Caraval. Car- Car- I still haven't decided how I'm going to say it. That's and, quite all right. <laughs> and um, although I am from the, I mean, we're both from the Midwest. So I, you, you know, I love my short A's. So probably I'm going to most often call it Caraval. Um, and um, at f- but we don't know that it's Jax when we meet him the first time. Like we don't know well, his name. We don't know lots of things. We don't know that he's technically the heir to the throne right not the lost heir but the current heir right we don't know that he's the prince of hearts he just comes across as this like petulant little noble pretty boy right who's super rude and also kind of like creepy and murdery <laughs> i don't know that he came across that way to me but alex okay. there's a whole part where he talks about like throwing her out of the <laughs> carriage to her death yeah, but I didn't take that in a creepy, murdering way. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah, I think at that part, I still had them, like, they hadn't taken off and were still, like, in the carriage house or whatever. So that didn't really equate to me as, like, shoving her out the window to her death. It was more just, like, shoving her out so she could get the next carriage because he wanted his own. Oh, Alex, I'm pretty sure they were floating through the air when he... Oh, I'm pretty sure they were, too, but, you know, sometimes I just don't pay attention to those kinds of details, or I purposefully avoid those kinds of details. I am literally... I have tears running down my cheeks right now. That is so funny. Uh, you're welcome. I I aim to please and provide <laughs> any form of entertainment. Alex, they said he she said he was gonna push her out the window. I didn't take that in a murdery kind of way. <laughs> hey, there's a reason why Jackson's my favorite character. I don't care. Oh, that good she's God! A I love it. Fate. <laughs> 
kisses kill people. Oh, Obviously, you can see I have some character flaws of my own to work through. That is so funny. Yes, so anyways, we meet him, <laughs> and apparently he's a murderer. Or it gives off murdery vibes. gives off murdering vibes that I did not pick up on and blatantly ignored. Um... Yeah, so I guess my first impression of him was not as bad as your first impression of him. <laughs> but okay, can I just, I found the part. I just want to read this. I just, I'm stuck on this now. I just, can I just read this to you real quick? Sure, okay. sure. Um, <laughs> Tella had never met an aristocrat she liked. They'd often come to her father for illegal favors, offering him money, but never respect. They all seem to think their trickle of royal blood made them superior to everyone else. Also, that puts me on edge right away. Like, I don't like people who think they're better than other people. So then she says to him, if you don't wish to ride with me, you can get out. And the young noble responded with a mild tilt of his golden head, followed by a slow curl of narrow lips as if he'd bitten into a mealy part of his apple. Which also, I get it. I hate mealy apples. So, like, I do understand, like, maybe maybe he is a nice guy, Alex. Maybe he's not murdery. He just had a mealy apple. Um, and then he says, just leave the coach, warned a voice in her head. He's more dangerous than he looks. Apparently, Alex was like, that's fine. Um... <laughs> But Tella wasn't about to be bullied by a young man too lazy to brush the hair from his bloodshot eyes. She hated it when people used their wealth or title as an excuse to treat others poorly. Again, I get it, girl. I hate that. Um, It reminded her too much of her father. And the carriage was already ascending, flying higher into the night sky with every one of Tella's rapid heartbeats. Yeah, apparently I just missed that part. (laughs) You must be one of Legend's performers. (laughs) The young man might have laughed, but it sounded too cruel for Tella to be sure. He leaned across the intimate space, filling the carriage with the sharp scent of apples and irritation. Also, side note, I didn't write that down as one of my favorite quotes, but, like, what a fun way to describe that. Um, See, that's what I'm talking about, about how she describes things. Yeah. It's just such an eclectic but amazing combination of words. And you still totally know what she means. Yeah, exactly. Because you're like, what does irritation smell like? And you're like, I don't really know, but I know what she means. Like, (laughs) um, and then he says, I wonder if you could help me with something I've been curious about. He continued, I've heard legends performers never truly die. So maybe I'll push you out to see if the rumors are true, question mark. Hmm. No. Yeah, I mean, I guess I saw that more in like a like joking ha-ha way. Um, now, to tell us credit, her response is, not if I shove you out first. <laughs> but like, that's hilarious to me. I am in love with that so much. Um, okay, so we meet him. Ellen thought he was a little murdery. Alex thought he was kidding. <laughs> Um, <laughs> which is fine. That's how, I mean, that's the beauty of books. It has clearly brought us much joy here. Um, and, and then they sort of part ways, right? So like she, they, cause they get off the carriage, they go their separate ways. And then she doesn't have a room set aside for her. Um, and so Dante in this part, it, you know, is maybe kind of a dumbass moment for Dante. Um, he tells the lady in charge of finding the performers all someplace to sleep that Tella is 
the fiance of the lost heir, or not the lost heir, of the current heir of the Empress. But then, okay, now I'm just thinking about this. Yeah. Dante, as legend, would not be that stupid. Like, he wouldn't... Oh, no, no. Is there he... is there more behind this than him just trying to be, like, difficult for her? Well, no, I think he wants to find... So, what we find out later, right, is Jax is the lost prince, and he has escaped his card. Right? Because we find out that all of the fates have been trapped in their cards. So, of course, Legend is going to want to find him to put him back in the cards because we know that Dante wants to destroy the cards so that he can have all of the magic. Right? Right. So, he... So, at this point in time, we don't know that he... Any of that. And so, at this point in time, it's like, oh, look at this dumbass move he made. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it was actually more calculated. Yes, I think you're absolutely right. So, um, because he even says later, he didn't realize what he felt for Tella until something that happens with Jax in a little bit from right now, right? And so, like, he knew he was intrigued by her, but, like, he didn't know his real feelings until a little bit later. And so, he tells this lady this lie. She's like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know, but, like, be careful, girl, because the... Rumor is this guy has murdered all of his previous fiancés, like, blah, blah, blah. And so she gets this fancy room. And then her fiancé has, of course, heard the story that, or her, I should say, quote, unquote, fiancé, this heir, has heard the story about her being the fiancé. So he sends her this beautiful dress that, like, I don't exactly know how it looks, but, like, it's just covered in blue flowers. Yes. Like, it sounded beautiful. Um... And she shows up at the ball, and then lo and behold, who's the lost, or why do I keep saying lost heir? Who's the heir, Alex? Jax. Jax, the guy from the carriage. The yes. A, the apple guy. But the guy who wanted only, to murder her. So not only is he the guy from the carriage, not only is he Jax, the heir, not only is he the Prince of Hearts of Fate, he also is the guy that she's been writing to for years, trying to find all this information out about legend and freeing her mother. Yeah. So, so like, it's just, like, layer upon layer upon layer. Like... Yes. Um, Not that we know all of those layers at right. this point. And, of course, all of a sudden, I was like, it's layer upon layer upon layer. And I was about to be like, like an onion. And then... <laughs> I was thinking about Shrek for a little bit yes, for just exactly. a quick second. That's um, my head went to <laughs> right away. Um, all of a sudden, Jax is now an ogre. Um, and so they're at this ball. She's dancing with the air. And he's like, hey, BT. And then we find out, BTW, I'm this guy that you've been writing to. Again, I'm paraphrasing. That's not exactly what he says to her. Um and if you want to see your mom alive, you're going to make everybody believe you're in love with me. And if you don't want to die, you're going to make sure everybody believes that you're in love with me. Um, so again, some murdery vibes there, Alex. <laughs> yeah, but I think, but wasn't that after he, he had kissed her? I think he, I think he still, I mean, he still threatened her to get her to dance with him. Yeah, but I thought it was the whole thing of, like, you're going to die from my kiss because my kiss is lethal. 
So unless you want me to do something about it and you not die, right? then you need okay. to do as I say. Sure. Well, I mean, he was still threatening her mom before that. But anyways. Yes, yes. He, like, added on to the threat. And you right. still like him as a character. I know. Alex, I'm... It's, it's all questionable. <laughs> it's fine. He's I think just, part of it, too, He's just is... kidding. <laughs> I think part of why I want them together a little bit more than I want Dante and her to be together yeah. is because we find out later that she is his true love. Oh. Like, that makes his heart beat. And that she is the one person who won't die from his kisses. And so I think that also definitely plays for me into, like, why I want them to be together, because there's more to it than just them, you know, being attracted to each other. Also, as a quick side note, Alex, yes, even if the whole world is telling you something, (laughs) it doesn't mean you have to do it, okay? (laughs) That's true. That is true. Just because she's faded, I'm just saying. Not that, not to say that I wouldn't also be fine with it, but like I'm just saying. Just because. Yeah, there's... but then like, where does that leave him if she doesn't end up with him? Who knows? Um. Who knows? It made me. It this just made me think about um, his previous fiancés, and I remember he said something vague about his previous fiance when she accused him of killing her. Right. And it made it seem like he like either didn't mean to, or he didn't kill her or whatever. But I wonder if, you know, he doesn't always, you know, want to kill these people, but his kiss just does sure. because that's how it is. And how lonely must a life be if you, you know, can't even, kiss a woman that you are you know maybe falling in love with or whatever or right? hope to be falling in love with yeah yeah okay I get it see um, he's not murdery <laughs> uh, even though yes he is <laughs> I, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say he can be both yes he is that's, that's one of the things that I like about him is that he is a villain a villainous character in many ways right um but at the same time, he also has all of these other positive yeah. and so, intriguing qualities. So they're at the ball, they're dancing, and then they share this big kiss. And it's after the kiss ends that Tella realizes who he is in the truest sense of, of himself, right? Mm-hmm. It's, that's when she finds out he's the Prince of Hearts, right? Because all of a sudden she feels... Like, she's dying. <laughs> yes, and he, like, appears brighter. Right, exactly. Or lighter after um, their kiss. But, like, apparently it was a really good kiss, right? Like, that whole description of that, I was like, oh, snap. <laughs> like, <laughs> right, but then, but then you remember that, like, his kisses are supposed to be the best thing right. that you've ever experienced. And it was so funny because I got a little caught up in it before you find out that he, of course, like, wh- why wouldn't you? You get caught up in this kiss. You're like, maybe it's going to be like an enemies to lovers thing. Like, oh, my God, that'd be so cute. Because at this point, you're like intrigued by Dante, but he's like, maybe he's going to be a love interest. Maybe he's just going to be like a person in the background. Like, mm-hmm. you don't know exactly what his part in this book is going to be yet. Until 
She pulls away from the kiss, and she makes eye contact with him. Uh, And then that's when she realizes, oh, maybe he has feelings for me because he's looking a little betrayed, right? Because they had kissed the night of the party, but, and then of course have talked since then, but like no more. Well, and he also overheard her saying that Scarlet that his kiss was like the worst kiss that she had ever experienced and she's never thinking of it again right exactly so like and that's also the moment that he realizes his true feelings for her like we find out later that's when he was like oh I do care about her yeah like oh snap (laughs) this is what love is um and so like just immediately that's when I was like oh like oh (laughs) love triangle and like sometimes I'm like no thank you on a love triangle like I just want there to be like a very clear this is who the love interest is going to be and we're gonna let it be that way but sometimes tend to just like stress me out oh but I'm ready for this one (laughs) (laughs) like I am ready for it so I'm very excited to like watch it progress and everything like that um but speaking of love triangles, you made a good point that I wasn't even thinking about um, when we briefly discussed this prior to the podcast um, about a second love triangle that I was mm-hmm. not even was not even on my radar. So let's tell people about that one. Yeah, well, I mean, that you don't see. It's just at the end of the book basically we're being set up for a second love triangle in the third book because Scarlett reveals that she's been writing to the count again and that she's going to meet him yes yeah and that you know she's going to be seeing Julian and the count at the same time and she doesn't you know she feels like a whole new woman and can do whatever she wants and I I totally understand dating two men at once and I think that's fine to do that but sometimes in certain instances I'm like you go girl go get it (laughs) and then other instances I'm like what are you doing no the poor guy like yeah. And in this instance, I'm like, poor Julian, no, don't do this and to it's, him. it's so funny to me, because when you brought that up, I was like, what? Because to me, her love for Julian, we see it, of course, all throughout the first book. And then, you know, we see hints of it throughout the second book, because they, they have their, their tumultuous times in the second book, because she finds out that he kept the secret about the real count and right. all of this stuff. And she... But they work through it. And so, like, when she started talking about talking about the count or talking to the count again, like, apparently, maybe my brain was just, like, protecting me because I was just like, oh, that's not going to go anywhere. It's fine. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, I didn't even think about it because I was like, Julian is endgame for her. Like, for me, that's what I'm assuming. But as we've said before, what has this book, these books taught us? <laughs> Don't trust anything. Yeah, don't trust anything. So now, of course, thanks to you, I'm really worried about this. Um, You're welcome. (laughs) But I loved loved that insight because it was not something that um, even crossed my mind. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that that's what's going to happen, but I just have a feeling that that's what we're going to see in the, the third book. Right. 
double love triangle. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if I'm going to be able to survive the third book. You might find me like <laughs> in a stress puddle, like on the bottom of my floor. Oh my gosh! So not moving. <laughs> the last. I mean, I could talk about this book for forever, and certainly we can. <laughs> but the last thing that I had that I wanted to talk about <clears throat> was Paloma Paradise. Whatever. I prefer mm-hmm. I prefer Paloma as a name, um, but we find out that that's not even really her name. <laughs> so she's Scarlet Intella's mom, right? She disappeared seven years before the start of the first book. And right. just like out of the blue. <clears throat> and then we find out in the second book um, that she was this big criminal in the capital city because Tella ends up in this... I feel like it's basically the equivalent of, like, a, a bounty hunter's office, basically. Yeah, that's that's kind of how I saw it, too. But then in my mind, I had, like, the wanted posters, like, in a similar style to the Tangled movie. <laughs> yeah, right. And mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I'm glad that we had the same... I had the same... Um, oh, my gosh, you did? Oh, yeah. Like... You know, maybe minus, like, the poorly drawn pictures, but, like, that's the style that it was in, right? Like, they were getting the noses right in this one. Um, (laughs) And um, so then she finds out that she was this, um, this uh, uh, criminal. Criminal. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, like, not much else happens on, like... After she finds it out, she doesn't find out too much else about, like, the criminal side of her. But then she finds out... No, she had already found out at this point that her mother's trapped in one of the cards. And so that's like the big thing about this game, right? Is So there's two sides to this this coin here. So the first side is if she can bring legend to Jax, Jax will free her mother. But if she brings the cards to legend... Legend will destroy all of the cards, which will free her from Jax, so she herself won't die. But in the process, it will doom her mother, and her mother will die. Right? right. So but at the same time, if she saves her mother, then the fates get released into the world, exactly. and that's a huge-ass problem. Exactly. Versus so- if she sacrifices her mother, then legend in get rid of, getting rid of the deck of cards will also destroy the fates. Right. And then get That's another, you know, huge it's like and then get, do something for myself or for the greater good of the world. Hmm. Right, exactly. And the thing is is like so like legend getting all of their power. So he already has half the power of all of the fates. But like if he destroys them he gets the rest of all of their powers. Yeah, so then that made me think that maybe it wouldn't necessarily be the, the best thing for the world. Right, but like it's it is implied that it would still be better than all of the fates running free again. But yes, I think I prefer neither of those options. <laughs> right, but like clearly that's not an option, right? No, nothing happening is not an option. So but then she has to figure out how she's going to get her mother out of the card. And then, right at the end, she has figured out, um, or she has pretty much figured out that Dante is legend. She's kind of just waiting for the confirmation of it. And she has realized that she, 
it kind of reminded me of the scene in The Princess Bride where um, Wesley is sitting with... Um, Oh my gosh, why can't I think of his name? This is very embarrassing because this is my favorite movie in the whole world. Vicini. He's sitting with Vicini there and they've got the Iocane powder, right? And there's the whole oh. and there's the whole speech where Vicini's like, and I can clearly not choose the cup in front of me. But because of this, I can clearly not choose the cup uh-huh. in front of you. And he does this whole big speech. And that's sort of how I felt <laughs> um when um, Tella is trying to decide what she's going to do. Who is she going to give this deck of cards to? What choice is she going to make in order, oh. like, right? She's like, well, I can clearly not choose Jax, and I can clearly not choose Legend. And, like, that's... that's such a great scene <laughs> to compare this right? to. And I didn't even think of that. And so then, finally, her decision is she's going to put herself in the cards, she's going to free her mother, and then the rest is going to be up to the world itself. Like, she will be... She will have saved her mother which is the main point, but then she will not be responsible for either dooming the world or whatever, right? So, like, okay. she has made this decision, and she puts herself in the card, her mother is freed, but then... And this is something that, like, the stars can't believe this happened. Right, like, exactly. Like, nothing can believe that she would have done this. And so then... Well, no, it's not... I don't think it was her decision. I think it was legend's decision that was even more astronomical right exactly that's that's true that's the part where i think it said like the stars like looked in closer mm-hmm. yeah and so legend because he loves her he can't destroy the deck now and he won't destroy the deck now because she's now in the card so his only choice left is to release all the fates Oh, and oh, I mean to release everybody who's trapped in the cards, which includes Tella, but it also includes all of the fates. And so, um, which is the exact opposite of what he exactly needs to do. Exactly. So now he still has his half of all of the power, right? So like the fates, and we find out a little bit later that the fates are all going to still be very weak because they've been trapped in these cards for forever, and so theoretically legend has this period of time where he could i think maybe i'm just reading into this but like he could track them down and kill them and like still maybe get their power i don't know if i'm reading into that or if like that's just an assumption i made um and we know how assumptions do in these books um but i was just so fascinated by like i think that was the truest point of tella's character development when she sacrificed herself for her mom. Mm-hmm. And I think it was the truest point of Dante slash Legends character development. Um, because up until this point, we've al- we've always been told that Legend only does something for himself. You know, he... Um, he... You know, after he his unrequited love that we learned about in the first book, which turned out to be... Okay, actually, I have to revisit that. We're going to come back to that in just a second because I have some very serious questions that could very firmly take me out of Team Dante in just a quick second here. Okay, um, yeah, because this <laughs> is kind of where I was like, yes, okay, wow, maybe I'm flipping from Jax to Dante, and then the ending of this heavily flipped me. Right, because he walks away from that after that, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So, so, but like, I just... 
But then they find their, and then Jax brings their mom to them, and she's still sleeping. And he's, and Jax is the one who picks her up after she's right, left exactly. there so by like, Dante. Everything... Like, he's the one who's always there for her. But they're both there for her in different times, right? Yeah, like, that's true. Because who showed up after she was attacked by the undead queen? It wasn't Jax, it was Dante, yeah. right? So, like, there's, they're both there for her in different points of time. So, the big question that I have, right? So, in the first book... We have that whole flashback scene that Scarlet gets to see, right? And she sees and she finds out that this love that Legend had that married another person was their grandmother. Yes, that's so true. Right? Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure when she's having that flashback, she is struck by how much her grandmother looks like Tella. So I don't. I didn't remember that part. So I, I might. That made me realize that like Dante and Julian aren't actually that old, and Caraval hasn't been going on for that long, and like he hasn't actually had this magic for all that long. But it's still a a really long time, considering the fact that Scarlet is seventeen and Tella is sixteen. So like that's a little bit. Um, uncomfortable, but we can just move through yeah, that. Yeah, but, it, but it's not, it's not like they're as old as, like, some of the fae characters that we read about. No, for sure. end up dating. For sure. Like, teenagers I'm, I'm, and 20-year-olds. Can I just tell you, like, I'm, mostly I'm fine with it. Like, it's fine. Okay. That's not, the age difference is not, I'm willing to put that on a shelf. Like, it's questionable, but I'm willing to put that on a shelf. What I'm not willing to put on a shelf. So if I'm right about this, I might be slipping out of Team Dante a little bit here. Um, does Tella look like her grandmother? Because then I'm a little bit like, like, at, at the very least, it's what drew him to her, is that she mm-hmm. looks like the woman that he loved who chose someone, b- a, you know, besides That's him. So true. And so I'm like, I'm a little bit panicky and I want to look it up, but I, also I like Dante so much that... <laughs> that I don't want to know the answer because I'm like, I don't know if I want to know this, but I'm pretty sure in the first book, Scarlet is struck by how much Tella looks like her young grandmother. So mm, that's a little uncomfortable. That's a little creepy. Yeah. <laughs> but, hmm. you know, it's, Questionable. A fa- it's a fantasy book. So let's just, we can just move past that. Oh my gosh. So I have an ex. An, an exciting and an interesting thought. What okay. are you looking forward to most in book three? Mm, that's that's a very tough question because obviously the love triangles need some attention right. so that we know who they end up with. Right. But I think I want to know more about their mother. Yeah. I think that's really the thing, like, because we're left at the end of this book with her out of the card, but she's still laying, like, basically in this enchanted sleep until she's strong enough right. to wake up. Right, because she's been in this and, card for who knows how long. Yeah. Yeah. At least, well, I mean, it could have been all of the seven years that right. she was gone, if not maybe just a little less of that time. Um so, yeah, I think that's what I'm looking forward to the most. What okay. about you? Um, again, same kind of same boat as you. I'm ready for the love triangles. Um, and I'm excited to see or 
maybe singular triangle. And maybe I'll be right that Julian is just the choice for Scarlet. Um, uh, and I'm super interested to learn more about the mom. Um, but I'm really, I'm looking forward to the fates. I'm looking oh, forward okay. to seeing if slash what they bring to the table now that they're free and what kind of havoc is, <laughs> is going to uh, come from oh, there. You know, like, I just feel like it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's going to be something. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, on that note, I feel like we've had a great discussion. I was just going to say, do you have anything else that you wanted to talk about? No, I okay. think we covered everything that I wanted to Perfect. bring up. Love it. So with that being said, that was uh, our discussion of book two of the Caraval series. Our next episode will, of course, be book three, because what else would we talk about next? Um, If you want to find us on social media, we're on Twitter at the Uniquely Portable Magic Podcast. Um, It's at sign UPM pod official. Uh, You can find us on Instagram, Uniquely Portable Magic Podcast. And you can also email us questions comments thoughts on the book you can say hi you can send book recommendations really whatever you want to send us cute animal pictures whatever we're here for it uh, and you can email us at uniquely portable magic podcast at gmail.com so thanks for joining us and have a great week <laughs>